God bless you, saints. Good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Good to be in the house of the Lord with you. I bring you greetings from Sister Becky and the family and all the saints back in Hickory, North Carolina. And uh, my wife certainly would love to have been with us uh, tonight, but this is a fast trip for me in and out. And uh, just wanted to come and spend a little time with your pastor and uh, already glad that I did. I wonder uh, if it'd be all right while you're standing, let's take your Bibles and we're going to take a scripture, Psalms chapter 37, Psalm 37. It's good to see all of you, good to see familiar faces and uh, always a blessing to come down by Louisiana. And our brother Tim said it's somewhere up north. Well, when you live in Louisiana, everything is up north, right? <laughs> we, we have, uh, Brother Paul LaFontaine and I have done the winter youth retreat for 27 years. This will be the 28th year. And uh, that's why I have white hairs working with Pope Brother Paul that long. But uh, we have now been rotating the, the retreat from Michigan to Tennessee where we hold a men's meeting. And this year it's going to be in uh, Michigan. So uh, truly it is north. And uh, for those of you that want to, uh, are thinking about attending, uh, winteryouthretreat.org is the website, and you're certainly able to do that if there is space still available. And uh, certainly welcome to do that. It's always a blessing. Psalm chapter 37, and we're going to read verse 23. <clears throat> the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delighteth in his way. And though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. How many believe that? Yeah. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence tonight, and we thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to fellowship among the saints here at Brother Tim's again. We ask now in the name of Jesus Christ that you would just reach down, Lord, and take complete control of this service. And Lord, you would just captivate every mind by your presence tonight and speak your word to our hearts, Lord. As simple as this is, this is something that affects every one of us every day of our lives. And we're thankful that your word contains so many uh, instructions and commandments and directions that are given to us that are applicable in our everyday life. Heavenly Father, we ask as we approach your throne tonight that you would forgive us of anything that may be contrary to the moving of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we just commit every need to you. We commit our time this evening to you and ask your blessing upon all that's done. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. God bless you. Let me do a couple of quick things here first. And uh, are we up uh, there so we can take a look at this? Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to warn you right at the very beginning here. This is going to be very simple, all right? It'll seem very simple. I doubt very much if I will say anything to you tonight that you haven't already heard. But this is one of those things where it's nice to be reminded of some of the very practical things uh, that affect all of us in making decisions and then how we actually do that, uh, how we do it in a biblical way. So I will tell you right from the very beginning, you can take your theological guns and put them back in your ecclesiastical holsters. All right? 
I'm warning you, this is going to be simple tonight. But it's Wednesday night, and I thought it would be good for us to, to be able to do a little Bible study. And I, uh, I was just praying about the service coming here, and then I, I thought, well, this is just too simple, too simple. But I couldn't shake it, and so I just want to try to be faithful tonight. So if it's all right, okay? I know you hear lots of good teaching and lots of good things here in the services, and uh, uh, so this would just be a, a little part that we can add in there for you, okay? And you have a lot of young people, and I know this will probably be uh, a help to you. So, uh, first of all, just let me get a, a little, uh, couple of things out of the way. Lord willing, November, the beginning, uh, about a year from today, Lord willing, if we're still here, we're planning to take a trip to Israel uh, in 2019. Uh, we'll have information about that, and uh, we'll send it out so that uh, we want to make it available for you. And it's, it's always an exciting thing to go to Israel. When, when I go and we take a group, I like to, to do two things. We look back at the things that happened there, and then we look ahead prophetically at the things that are going to become in the past. And you can do that in Israel, and uh, it's an exciting, uh, it's an exciting uh, experience to go if you've never gone, and if you've ever gone, it's good to go again. Now, uh, we're also taking a group, I think uh, we've got some that are going uh, from here to Tanzania December 3rd. And uh, I, I do a lot of work in uh, Africa, and mainly in Tanzania as well as other countries in the world. But in Tanzania, uh, I do a lot of work in particular. And uh, so we're going to be going this time, and uh, we're going to be holding a special convention there and going out to see some of the churches that are out there in the countryside. Now, uh, Brother Branham makes a statement here, and I want to just include this in this little testimony here. He said in fellowship, we're at the end time, and he said the things that once uh, was once in the church at the beginning will be restored again at the end time. We're living in that time. Yes. So the promise of restoration, uh, he said, is, is going to be repeated in the last day. Well, in the beginning was the book of Acts, wasn't it? Yes. That's, that's what the beginning was. The story of the beginning of the church is the book of Acts, right? Are we okay? But my friend, he said, God's gospel must be preached, and he'll send it regardless of what people say. You couldn't stop it. It's like a, fighting a fire in a high wind. God will shine forth his light. So the gospel is going to go no matter what people say, and it's going to reach all of God's elect. Even if you never meet them, it's going to reach God's elect. So let me take you to a little remote place in the country of Tanzania. It's called Gunga. This is the church in Gunga. It is a little remote area in the center part of Tanzania. If you look in the background here, I can't do it with this, uh, I can't do it with this pointer, but in the very background there uh, is real jungle. That's like lions, tigers, hyenas, uh, bush people that eat their neighbors. It, it's the real McCoy, all right? No roads, just maybe a few paths that go in, in here. Uh, I, I've threatened the brothers over there. I want to go there. I want to go to Gunga. They, they tell me, no, we're not going to get you there. Uh, it's too difficult. It's too hard. I said, no, I'd like to go. They said, the only way we get you there is a helicopter and drop you in. That's the only way that we can possibly get you there. But I would love to go. Now, this is the, the old church building that they had. And all the congregation met together in that church building. Just to show you where it is, it's right in the center. And again, I can't, uh, can't do this 
the, uh, right in the center where the word Tanzania is, you see there's no roads, there's no cities. This is just jungle, uh, wilderness area, conservation areas where a lot of the uh, animals roam and tribal people live. So this is very primitive. Many people who live here live in houses that are built in the ground, in the dirt. And, and they're probably four, four and a half feet tall uh, and they keep all their animals in there overnight, every night, because people will steal their animals. And uh, these are very, very primitive people. Well, let me introduce you to somebody who's in that uh, village. Uh, these are, this is uh, the brother on your, on your left uh, is Brother Elias Palangio, and he's the pastor in Arusha there. And the other brother is Brother Theo, and he is a missionary of missionaries. He travels uh, in very remote, remote parts of the world, uh, of this world. We bought three motorcycles for the missionaries there, and they just crisscrossed the country. Uh, they they uh, wrote me and said they traveled through a game reserve by motorbike for seven hours on bad or no roads. Many times there are no roads that go there. And so this is the inside of the church at Gunga. And they wanted to go and visit the saints there because they hadn't been there in a long time. There's seven people in this picture and two children. And there's another sister who's not in the picture right here. But uh, that's the church in Gunga. They don't have a pastor. And uh, so they do their very best they can. They have little Bible studies. And sometimes uh, they'll read a book or they'll listen to a tape. That's all they have. Unless the missionaries come through. So it's very difficult for them in that part of the world to have any type of regular services at all. I asked Brother Elias. He's getting ready to preach there. And I asked him what it's like to preach in that church. He said, well, there's two things. He said, you don't want to stand up quickly because you'll bang your head. And he said, the second thing is, you pray it doesn't rain. Because if it rains, everybody goes home. And they wait until the rain stops, and then they come back again and finish the service. That's just the way that it is. Let me introduce you to Sister Maria. Sister Maria Ese uh, is uh, the sister on the right in the red over here. And uh, she is married to a man who is a, uh, who is a Muslim, and he was a polygamist, had several wives. And uh, this is him right here. He's considered a wealthy man in that village because he owned two cows and had his own house. Now, Sister Maria, uh, because they're considered on the wealthy side in that village, uh, she for uh, a, number of, uh, a number of years would just glean in the fields. She was, truly was a gleaner and uh, would gather the stubble that's left over and sell it in the marketplace and save up her funds. Now, the interesting thing about Sister Maria is that she was a Muslim as well. And she has relatives who live in another part of Tanzania who are in the message. And she didn't know anything about that. But one, one, uh, a couple of years ago, she decided to go and visit those relatives who were in the message in another part of Tanzania. And when she went, they witnessed to her. Uh, it was just uh, the right time and the right word given to her. And she just embraced the message. She was baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And she believes the message just like you do. So she left home a Muslim one of the wives of a polygamist, and came back a believer. Wow. Well, the family back home, obviously, I mean, your reaction is, is I mean, you, you reacted, but you can imagine how they must have reacted. Because here now she is talk, carrying a Bible, she's talking about a prophet, she's talking about the end time, and all of the things like we would believe, she's witnessing those things back home. And uh, so the family says, well, the only thing we can do to straighten this situation out is to kill her. So the first thing they did was to fill her cook stove with explosive gas. They have a burning gas, and then they have an explosive gas. And Sister Maria was back home. She didn't know they did this, but they figured it would explode and kill her. And she had her hand on the knob to turn on her little stove, and she just, she just felt 
no, it's not going to do it. She took the gas canister outside and unscrewed it, and she smelled it immediately, and it was full of explosive gas, and so she just poured it out. So the family said, all right, we have, our, we have another way to do it, and we'll just poison her. Now, let me assure you, in that part of the world, they know how to poison people. All right, they still have blow darts and they still have poison tip arrows. They know how to stop an elephant in their tracks and they know how to poison somebody. They watched Sister Maria ingest poison and it never affected her. It never affected her. Naturally then, they became afraid and they said, we better leave her alone. So they just let her be. Sister Maria, in her gleaning, she wanted to have a bigger church for her community. She wanted to have something a little bit more reputable because, you know, it's nice when ministers come to have a nice place like you have here. And it's also, uh, you know, in the village, people would mock them because they had a little church made of sticks. And they said, is your God only this big that he can make a church this big made of sticks? And so she wanted to have a church for the, for the local body there. So she would gather gleanings from the field and sell them and buy bricks. She would just save up the bricks. And over time, by herself, she managed to hire a bricklayer and build this Amen. by herself, just gleaning in the fields. So when Brother Elias told me this story and showed me this picture, I said, oh, okay, you need money to finish the church. Put a roof on there. Uh, I said, it's no problem. We could probably help you do that. And he said, no. He said, Sister Maria sent a message to you through me, and she said, don't worry about the church. We built this much. We'll finish the rest. We don't need money for the church. We want you to send money to bring ministers into this village because even if we have a church or we don't have a church, or we have a roof or we don't have a roof, none of that's going to give us rapturing faith. It's the Word that gives us rapturing faith. And she said, we want, we want a minister to come and preach to us. So if, if Brother Barry's going to send any funds, send them to the missionaries who can come on their motorbikes and come in and preach for us. That's really what we want until God raises up a pastor. Well, I told this story enough around that uh, you know, people sent money and they decided to go ahead and put the roof on there. So uh, we, we've got a fund set up so the missionaries travel in there on a regular basis. And uh, the, uh, the, the church now uh, was being completed and they were just so excited about that. So now this is the picture at the end of the story. If you look over on your right, there's the old church. So now we've got a skyscraper. I mean, in Gunga, this is a skyscraper, folks. This is, this is like, uh, I mean, this is like the Mall of America in terms of size. They're just excited. And, uh, but here's the thing. As Brother Branham said, you know, the things that were at the beginning, they're repeated at the end. So as a result of this now, uh, the, the whole village is standing back and looking at this and saying, wow, they do serve a real God, a living God, who's able to turn that little thing into something great like this. And this is the end of the story. This is uh, Sister Maria's husband, the Muslim, being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I love to tell that story because it's just a great, complete little story, testimony. And, uh, you know, their hearts were just so set, not on having a fancy building, but they just wanted to have the gospel preached. And, and, and that was their desire. And I thought, wow, those are the kind of people you love to help. We'll probably never meet the people from Gunga on this side of eternity. But when you get there, I'll guarantee you they'll be over there, seven or eight of them. I believe they'll all be over there on the other side. I think that's a, just a wonderful testimony.
Let's talk a little bit about the will of God, all right? Because the will of God is, is, a, is a very important thing. It's very important for all of us. Now, let me just, let me just say this, and I'm going to go fast. Uh, I normally speak about 150 words a minute, but I usually have gusts to 2.30. So uh, I'll go a little bit quick tonight here as we move through this, because some of it is very basic here for you. There are, there, there's a lot in Scripture about our relationships. The most important relationship that we have in this life is between us and God. I call that the vertical, right? It, and, and no matter what else happens, you've got to have your own personal relationship with God. It doesn't depend on anybody else. But we also have a relationship to those that are outside. And that's those that we witness to. That's those that we go to school with, we work with, and we rub shoulders with every day in the world. And Paul tells us that we should walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Because you do have an effect on people around you. The third relationship is the one within the body. So in our families and our, the church family and so forth, uh, we being many, we're one body in Christ. And everyone members of another. And every one of us have a place in the body. Isn't that right? Just like all your body parts have a place and they have a function and you'd look real funny and you wouldn't operate so well if you didn't have all those parts there. So you're needed in the body just like all of the natural parts are needed as well. Now let's just look back. Brother Bram said in the message, then Jesus came. He said, Jesus knew what the Father's will was and what a blessed privilege it is that we can know the Father's will. If we will seek God, God will make known His will. Let's read the yellow part again. We can know the Father's will. And if we will seek God, God will make known His will. Do you believe that? I'd rather know that I was in the will of God if I had never spoke to another person than to preach to 10,000 people every night out of the will of God. I'd rather know the will of God. And what a privilege to find our place and there abide. God wants you to find your place. Your place may not be a prominent place, and it might be a, uh, you know, a, a place where you're uh, maybe not recognized by lots of other people. And, uh, like, you have to think about the people over in Gunga. There's not too many people know them or know anything about them, have never met them, but you know what? They have a place, and they got a great testimony, and, and I believe they're going to be there. They're an essential part of who we are. They absolutely are. And so it's, it's really important for us to find the will of God. But here's a prophet telling us that we can actually find the will of God. Romans chapter 8 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Proverbs chapter 19, there are many devices in a man's heart, many ideas. That's not necessarily a bad thing he's saying there, but there's many ideas. Sometimes we have many plans, we have many ambitions, we have many goals that we want to accomplish. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord is the thing that's going to stand. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord shall stand. So if we want to have something that's enduring, We want to find the counsel of the Lord, the mind of God. We want to find out what God's will is because that's the thing that's going to last. Sometimes we prop up or we we will uh, keep something going because we enjoy doing it. But I will tell you the things that last are the things that come from the mind of God. Brother Bram said in 1963, no matter what the rest of the world has got to do, listen now to these simple statements. There's two of them here. No matter what the rest of the world has got to do, That has not one thing to do with you and I. We are responsible uh, to God for our lives 
and for our experience with Christ. This relationship, the vertical one right here, right? So it doesn't matter what the rest of the world does. It doesn't matter what happens in Washington, and it doesn't matter what happens in the other capitals of the world. It doesn't matter what people around you do. You are responsible to God for your life and your experience with Christ. It's got to be real. It's, it's got to be a true experience, and it's got to produce the right things, and it's got to get you to the right place, right? That's absolutely what's got to happen. Now, Brother Branham, I want to add this statement as well. Uh, Brother Branham makes this statement, if the Word of God says so, or something promised, and that promise is kept, then there's nothing more to say. We just believe it or be turned aside. Look at it again. If the Word of God says something, something's promised, yes, sir. and that promise is kept, you know what? There's no more argument. That's right. Right? That's right? In Malachi 4, it says that God was going to send a prophet. Guess what? God did. Yes. There's no, no more arguing, right? right? we got a whole lot of evidence that proves that God actually did fulfill that Word. Yes. And you know what? You can do what you want in arguing about it or debating about it, but to me, it's already a settled matter. Yes. You're either going to believe it or you're not. Yeah. One or the other. We're living in the end time, right? God said it. We're living here as it was in the days of Noah and the days of Lot. How many believe we're living in that day again? Paul told Timothy, he said, in the last day, perilous times shall come. We've arrived. Brother Bram said we're here, right? And so therefore, if God has said something and he's fulfilled it, you know, God's brought it to pass, there's really no argument. So in the same way, if God said something about you or something, giving you a direction, giving you, uh, you know, a direction in life, then you know what? There's no arguing with that. We're just going to believe that. We're going to walk on in faith and just trust that God's going to see us through. Right? Okay. So it sounds like when I talk about this, and, and you know, when, we, uh, when you think about the quotes I just gave you, it seems like then the will of God and my future is a very simple thing. But in reality, it tends to look like this. Because we have lots of choices, right? We have lots of choices. There's a little bit of a time lag here, so sorry. Let me, let me get back here to where we, where we need to be. Uh, so the, will, so the, the actual path that we walk on is not always straight. It's not always level. There are lots of turns, and there are lots of things in there that maybe you didn't bargain on or you didn't count on happening. There's lots of things in there that uh, sometimes life will throw at you that you never expected. You can be doing all, the, all, all things right. You can be doing things just exactly according to God's Word, and yet sometimes uh, the outcomes are not what you intended, right? I know lots of people that have raised their children the best they possibly know how, raised them according to the Word of God, but there's no guaranteed outcome when it comes to raising our children, right? There's no guaranteed outcome. It's not like making cookies where you put all the right ingredients in, mix it all up, and it comes out the same every time. Because every individual has his own experience in his own walk with God. And so therefore, life will throw things at us that we don't always expect and that we don't always anticipate. So therefore, it's important for us to be reminded of this whole process of finding the will of God. Matter of fact, Brother Bram said God's will is a mystery. He said, and each man has to seek out the will of God for his or herself, God's mystery. God's will is a mystery, and each man has to seek out the will of God for himself or herself. And how do we find out? He said, Paul, it was known to him, and he said he didn't confer with any man, flesh and blood. He had nothing to do with it. It was revealed to him by Christ who met him on the road to Damascus. Right. Important little part here I want you to notice. 
How do we find out? And that's what we want to deal with tonight. How do we find out the will of God for me? I, 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 may, know, I may know what's, what's good for somebody else, but I want to know what's, what's the will of God for me. And, and Brother Bram says here, it was known to Paul, and he did not confer. He gives us a key here. He didn't confer with any man, but rather he, went, went to, he met Christ on the road to Damascus, and God began to reveal to him the will of God over the next three and a half years, right? And so those are, those are little keys for us to be able to use here. Now, Romans 12 tells us, and he says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, uh, there's a lot been said on this, and Brother Brandon ministered on this subject and so forth, and I just want to drop this in and say that these two words, conformed and transformed, are the, the key principles here found in this verse. And when we say that, uh, be not conformed to this world, it means that we don't want to take up the habits and the priorities and the values and the looks of this world, because you know what? They change all the time. It's just like if you took a jug of water and you poured, poured it into a cup that was tall and slim, then, then the, sh the shape of the water would conform to that cup. If we put it in a wide, flat bowl, it would conform to that. And, and we don't want to do that, right? If someone, some movie star comes up with a hairstyle or, uh, you know, a way of dressing, and all of a sudden everybody does it, like wearing your hat backwards. Now, common sense would tell you that hats were made to be worn a certain way, right? But somebody turns it around backwards, and, and everybody, you know, loves that particular movie star or singer, and now all of a sudden everybody's turning their hat back around backwards. I can't wait until we either turn the hats back around this way or we turn their heads around, so at least it'll, it'll all match. But to be transformed is this, and, and, and there's, a, uh, there's an important uh, part of this that, that's, that's good for us to remember. When we say that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, it means that there has to be a continual adjustment in our lives to the Word of God, morally, spiritually, and naturally. So we are going through a process of adjusting our lives. We look at our finances and we begin to adjust them according to the Word of God. Are we going to pay tithes? Yes, we're going to pay tithes. Are we going to uh, you know, pay that which is borrowed? Yes, we're going to do that. Because those are principles found in the Word of God, right? right. And we're going to adjust the moral, the spiritual, the financial, the natural, all of the parts of our life. We're going to adjust them continually to the Word of God. So we're not going to be conformed to this world. We're not going to do things like they do it, but rather we're going to look to God's Word and adjust our living to match that. Right. I, want, I want my life to match that. Yeah. I want at the end of the road God to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I gave you the instructions and you did it right according to the Word of God. But we have to know the Word of God, right? We have to know the Word of God in order to, uh, to, to adjust our lives. And the Word's got to be preached in such a way that we can understand it, and then we can apply it, because we are not to be just hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word as well. And so it's important for us to apply ourselves that way. Now, Brother Branham said, and hear ye him. Now, I can't make him show anything. Uh, I can't make him show me anything. I can't make God show me anything. He doesn't show me according to my desire. He shows me according to what his will is. Now, this is a prophet, right? And Brother Bram's a leader, and he's one who receives things for the people that are on earth uh, during that time and the time to come. But he said, he doesn't show me according to my desire. He shows me according to what his will is. 
There's been many things that I've prayed for and said, Lord, will you just tell me how it will come out so I can comfort the people? And he'll never say a word to me about it, then turn around and tell me something else. But he tells me what he wants me to know, and what he wants me to know, he tells me. And it ain't, sorry, and what he wants me to know, why he tells me, and it ain't none of my business, it's his business. So now when you give your life to him, when you surrender your life to him, now it's his business to run it his way. And so therefore, God wants to guide you a certain way, and he wants to give you certain things and do certain things in your life and accomplish certain things. And Brother Branham said that God will show you things according to the way he shows, God showed it to him, that God will show you things according to his will, according to his desire, not always ours. And we say very often, you know, if I could only know the future, you know, when it comes to a decision, if I could only know what's up ahead, if I could only know, then I could decide what's best here or there. And if we knew the future all the time, we'd never walk by faith. We'd always be walking by the sight that, 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 uh, gives a, that we're given by the knowledge of, of the future. But I'll tell you what, God wants you to walk and to live by faith and to trust Him. Because that relationship between you and Him, that's what's most important. Isn't that right? Now, let me just skip here for a moment and give you this statement. Brother Branham said in one in a million, let me give you a shocking something. Not all that says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter in, but he that doeth the will of my Father, his will is his word. His will is his word. You can be ever so religious and have great times shouting and jumping in the meetings, which I, I don't want to be critical, but I have a duty to, to, to God, and that duty is to be sincere and say what he wants me to say. But Brother Bram is here to say his will is his word. His will is not tradition, and his will is not what everybody else is doing. His will is not the way we've always done it. His will is his word. His will is never subjected to a vote. His will is never decided upon, right? And, you know, it occurred to me a little while ago that nothing ever occurs to God. Nothing ever occurs to God. He never has a new thought. His will is his word, and he doesn't change. Right? I am the Lord, and I change not. And, and so, therefore, his will is his word. Now, that, that becomes a very important thing here because uh, there, there are things that we need to know in the path of life. And guess what? Along the path of life, sometimes you run into this. It's a fork in the road. So when we're faced with a fork in the road, how do we make a decision then? You know, they say a picture's worth a thousand words. But it's too bad when you've got to explain the picture. <laughs> but let me just say this, that sometimes, you know, you can be faced with a decision, and both sides of that why look okay. Yeah. It looks to me right now like I could take this side or this side. Uh, should I go here or should I go there? Should I take this job or should I not take this job? Or should I take another one, perhaps, that presents itself? And, and so there's, sometimes we're faced with good decisions, uh, uh, you know, two good decisions or, or two choices that we're faced with, and we have to deal with them. And so there are times when uh, this is where it, it, the, the element of faith comes in to, to be able to make the right decision. And how do I find out where to go from here if there is a fork in the road, if there's, a, if there's seemingly two good choices in front of me? Now, I'll tell you what, many times it's the way we go about making decisions that gets us in, into trouble. Because most people, and I'm not talking about you, because I know there's nobody in this church like this. If 
But most people's minds are like concrete. They're thoroughly mixed up and permanently set. That's most people, not you. And we have expectations. We, we think, all right, a scripture means a certain thing. Scripture says a certain thing. And I think this is the way it's going to be. Right. We, we kind of have it figured out. Hey, come on. Even in the message, we, we're, we're a little bit that way, aren't we? Right. Brother Branham explained so many things, and we figure, okay, we got it all figured out. This got to happen, that's got to happen, and this got to happen here. And I will tell you something. It's probably not going to happen the way you've got it figured out. Because even Brother Branham said to us, he said, when you think you've got it all figured out, he said, that's not right. So we always have to leave room for God to do the unexpected and to come out of left field somewhere and show us things that maybe we never anticipated. You always got to leave room for God to do that. So we need to adjust our expectations about the will of God and say, well, Lord willing, we'll do this or that and, and, and leave room for God to adjust things and also leave room for you to ask forgiveness if we make a wrong choice. Because that's always a good thing, right? Because remember now, God's not confused about the will of God for your life. God's not confused about your future. Many times it's us who are confused about what we should do. And we have to seek Him continually in order to do this. All right, so let's talk about just adjusting expectations for a minute. Brother Branham says this. He said, every time when I'm home, I take my little girls and I give them a little Bible study. And I put them in the car so nobody interrupts us. Hey, listen, lots of people knew where Brother Branham lived. Lots of people knocked on his door day and night. Holidays, it never mattered. So he would take his girls, and he said we would get in the car and ride around the wife and the baby, and I gave them questions like, who was Elijah? And, uh, what was he? And right quick, the six- and eight-year-old girls would say, he was a Tishbite. And I'd say, how could you tell if you met him today, what kind of a man was he? Oh, he was a hairy man. He had leather around his loins. And you know what he was doing? He was having a Bible study with his own kids. Yeah. And he was trying to help them understand from the Scripture that, you know, the, the, the Bible is true. God's Word is true. It's right. And he said, just keep drilling that into their minds and drilling it constantly. And that's what you do to your children, mother. That's what you mothers do to your children. That's what you fathers do to your children. And quit running around over the city and gadding about and giving your children Bible lectures and, uh, Bible lectures and things. He said, that's the thing to do. It, it is important for us to instill in our children and in our family to make sure that the Word of God and the person of Christ is central in our homes, right? Because we know that if he's, if, if he's allowed to move in our midst, then he can guide us to where he wants us to be. And so it sounds like a very simple thing. But let me just go a little bit further and say this when it comes to expectations. Israel, back in the days of Jesus, they believed that Whenever the Messiah came, he was going to be a redeemer, a prophet, a governor, and a king. Somehow or another, he was going to wear all of those hats, or he was going to fulfill all those roles. And where they got that expectation was out of the Bible. Yes. Isaiah chapter 9, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Deuteronomy 18, Moses said, The Lord your God, your God shall raise up a prophet like unto me. Now you've got to remember how they viewed Moses. Moses was the man who went up into the presence of God, and God wrote on a stone and brought it, he brought it down to the camp. Moses was a lawgiver. Moses was a mediator. Moses was a man of authority, right? He was the one who stood there like we see him on the Ten Commandments, and uh, someone who, when he spoke, the seas opened up, or the fire fell, and Dathan and Korah were destroyed. He was a man of power. He was a man of authority, right? 
That's how they remembered Moses in Jesus' day. And the Lord your God shall raise up a prophet like unto me. Isaiah 59. And a redeemer shall come to Zion. Israel's expectation of Jesus. Sorry. Israel's expectation of Jesus and the disciples' expectation of Jesus was also similar. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. Therefore when they came together they asked him saying, Well Lord... Wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Because our expectation of the Messiah is this way. Right. So when are you going to get around to fulfilling the word of God like we understand it? Yeah, that's right. Right. Now, hold on a second. Their expectation was based on Bible verses. Yeah. Right? What I read you here is Bible verses that they believed. And, and, and they're looking at Jesus and they're saying, well, uh, you know, it, it's, it's got to be this way. Hey, let me give you an example. Uh, uh, you, do you know anybody who diagnoses themselves online? You know, illnesses online? You probably don't do that. I did that one time and I, I had, uh, you know, some problems with the joints in my, hand, in my fingers. And uh, so I went looking online, you know, joints, pain, uh, disfigurement, looking it up. And I'm going down through, okay, symptom, 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 not that. Now symptom, 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 bingo. That's what I got, rheumatoid arthritis. That's what I got right here. So I have figured it out. And it didn't go away, and I did, you know, the home remedies. You know, I did essentially what I was supposed to do. <laughs> Doesn't go away. So I go to the doctor, and I said, Doc, uh, I, I, I want you to look at my hands here, and I want you to just take a look at that and, and see what it is. Oh, he said, yeah, sure, it's no problem. He said, it's osteoarthritis. I said, no, it's not. <laughs> he looked at me. I, uh, <laughs> he said, it's not? I said, no, it's rheumatoid arthritis. He said, no, it's not. It's osteoarthritis that you have. Big difference in the arthritic world. I said, no, I'm sorry. I looked it up. In other words, I, I expected fully that I had what I figured out I had. You know what? I was wrong. I was thankful I was wrong. Not that anyone is greater than the other one, but I, the doc's just kind of looking at me. You know, you're one of them. You're, you know, they put a G on the chart, Google patient, right? So here's the disciples, and they're asking Jesus, uh, you know, uh, we, we've seen all these things happen and we, 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 we saw you do this and now you're risen from the dead and you're back here among us. Can we get on with the scriptures that say you're going to be a king and a messiah and throw the Romans out and, and we'll be at peace and everything will be like it was in the days of David and Solomon. And Jesus said unto them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. Because God doesn't tell you everything. He really tells you what you need to know. Brother Brown goes on to say, and the Messiah had prophesied. The prophets told just exactly how he would come, but their own private interpretation of it, dot, dot, dot. And when he come, he was in such a simple way and simplicity till the whole church world stumbled over it. All lived right in the word, but they had formed their own way of it. So they're not outside of the scripture here, but they had formed their own interpretation of it. Down to the bottom verse there, sorry, it's cut off. Brother Branham said, it's the same thing today. All right, so how do we find the will of God then? All right, I've told you how you don't. 
Let's, let's figure out how we find the will of God. Some things are easily discovered with a good concordance. You don't need to debate about it. You don't really need to even ask your pastor about it. You just need to get into your Bible and look at certain things there that you might have a question about. Many questions are answered in the Bible. For instance, Romans 12, 17, recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men, and if it be possible, as much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. That tells us a lot about how we should relate to one another, right? But one thing is for sure, that even when evil, even when evil is done against us, we shouldn't recompense or repay evil for evil, right? So that's a good answer here. We also find uh, Romans uh, 12, 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So should I get even? Well, I'll tell you what. The Bible says God's going to take care of all of that. He's going to sort all of that out. He knows the evil that's done against you. And you don't need to be the judge. He is the judge. You just move on. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Romans 12, therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. And be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't put yourself in a position where you can be overcome by evil. Don't put yourself, don't open the doors for evil to come in and overwhelm you in your house. Uh, you, you, want, you want to always be in, in, on the safe ground uh, where you can rely on the help of the Holy Spirit. I often tell people when they ask me questions like this, I often tell them, uh, you, want to, you want to stay in the place and, and react so that you don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit away from you because he's your help in a time of need. So sometimes people will say, well, so-and-so spread a rumor about me. And I said, have you reacted yet? And they said, no, I haven't said a thing. The problem very often is in how we react to things. If somebody says something against you, it's not a, it has, it's no mark against you. It's no sin against you if they've just said it about you, right? It's when you react, that's when we get in trouble. It's when we react, then we sometimes got to go back and say, sorry I said that, sorry I shook my fist in your face, and uh, sorry I, you know, I jumped up and down in your car, and, and so forth. It's how we react is how we get in trouble, right? So the Bible simply tells us that we should, we should not overcome, uh, sorry, not be overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And if the enemy does something, then we want to repay those things with, with good here. And I mean, th this is basic Bible stuff here. We don't need to think long and hard about this. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, sorry, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted, and bury you one another's burdens. So when somebody gets into trouble or makes a bad mistake, or somebody's maybe uh, struggling with their, in their walk, we don't go to them and say, huh, I always knew there was something wrong with you. You're not as spiritual as my kids are. Rather than do that, he says, go and go with this attitude that you should always remember, you know what? This could happen to me. None of us are above the attacks of the enemy. None of us are above temptation, right? Jesus himself was temp tempted and tried. And so he says, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And if any man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work and then he shall have rejoicing in himself and not in another. 
So when we think about the burdens that, uh, that, that Christ gives us, they're always, they're always doable. They're always burdens that we can, uh, that we can handle. Uh, they are the things that he gives to us. He said, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So in other words, if we're going to be like Christ, then, then we're going to uh, not only uh, take our own burden, but we're going to help share the burden of another. Amen. Right? And, and that's, that's the way that we are to be re- reacting. Now, again, I'm going fast here because this is very basic. Ephesians 4.27, neither give place to the devil. Do you know why that's in the Bible? Do you know why Paul said that? Don't give the devil a place. Because you can't. If you couldn't give the devil a place in your life, maybe in your mind, then Paul would not need to have said that. But you can't. You know you can go places on the internet where the devil now all of a sudden has an inlet. Right? You know that you can uh, get involved with certain friends at school or uh, maybe, you know, listen to certain kinds of music and it affects you. And what you're doing is you're letting the devil have just a foothold in there. Maybe, uh, I mean, there's, there's just lots of different ways that if, if, if the enemy can, he just gets in a little bit. The problem is he doesn't know where to stop. So he just works his way in and works his way in. All of a sudden you got a big problem and you're saying, oh God, help me. Where did this all start? Well, it all started with that little entrance that he made back there. And the reason why Paul says this is simply because it's very possible for that to happen. All right, I I like this one. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Now think about this for a minute. Let him that stole steal no more. This is not a Bible verse about kleptomania. Although, you know, a stealer is is not not welcome. Uh, You shouldn't steal. But Paul is telling us something that Brother Branham actually told us as well, just in using different words. Let me explain it this way. If you're the kind of a low-down, dirty, rotten guy that would go and steal wood from your neighbor's woodpile in the winter at night because you're too lazy to chop your own wood. You've got a widow who lives next door, and when she goes to bed and uh, the lights are out in the house and it's dark, and you go over there and take an armload of wood and bring it over to your house and put it in. Honey, I got some wood. And put it in the fireplace there and keep the house warm. You low down, dirty, rotten. Here's what Paul says. Because we got a problem here, right? And the problem is not just the firewood. we got a problem because that guy's got a lack of character. Right? He says, number one, let him that stole, stop it. Don't do it anymore. But rather, this is how you're going to beat this problem, all right? Let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. In other words, what you need to do, first of all, is stop this and ask forgiveness. And go over to that lady and say, listen, lady, I'm sorry, I did this. Tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to chop next month's wood for you out of my wood pile, and I'm going to labor to do the thing which is good that he may have to give to her, and he would have his own firewood for himself. And you know what he's doing when he does that? He's going to the other extreme. And isn't that what Brother Branham said about trying to beat a complex or a problem that you have? He said we go to the other extreme. 
So if you're a stealer, we're going to go to all the way to the other side, and we're going to work hard to get a lot so we can actually give it away. And we're not only going to put wood back on her wood pile that we stole, but we're going to give her more besides, and then we're going to take the wheelbarrow and go down the street and give out the rest of the firewood that we have because we're going to go to the other extreme to beat this thing. Huh. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. All I'm doing is saying that some things are easily discovered when you read your Bible and you have a good concordance. If you read it, it'll tell you lots of things about how you should live on a day-to-day level, right? But now we've got to find out about the will of God. All right, so if you don't mind, let's, can, we, can we dig in just a little bit here? Are we okay? We need to take a break? All right, let's, let's do this. Let's look at it. How do, we, how do we make decisions then? Number one, again, this may seem simple, but the first thing that we want to do is we want to ask guidance when we pray. James tells us, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth unto all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given unto him. So it's not an if, but he says, if you lack something, you want to go to God and ask him and be specific. I mean, even Brother Branham says, ask big. Ask big. But what we want to do is, verse 6, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, tossed with the wind, and so forth. So we want to go to God with confidence that, Lord, we know, I, I, I know that you put me here on the earth for some reason. And I, I want to fulfill that purpose. I could have been born in any other age. I could have been, uh, you know, I, I could have been somewhere else. But Lord, I'm here. I'm here in Louisiana, I'm here in this church, and I'm here uh, with a calling on my life, or I'm here uh, you know, with a certain talent or a skill that I've got in my life. Lord, guide me so I can fulfill your purpose, because after all, I am yours. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he searcheth the hearts, he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. It's all about God's always trying to guide you in the will of God. Amen. He knows what you have need of. He knows what's necessary. And he knows how to pray as we ought to. But we don't know what the future holds. So this is a, an intercessory, uh, the intercessory idea that Paul gives to us in verse 28. And we know that all things work together for, for good to them that love God, to them who are thee called according to his purpose. So God's got a will. God's got a way. But we need to ask him, Lord, show me that way. Guide me in that way. And I will, I will assure you that when we ask confidently that God's able to show us his will. I will tell you this also. He's not going to show you the whole, the, God's will for the rest of your life. He's going to show you in portions, day by day, a little at a time. He's going to show you the future. Let me explain it this way. You remember when God called Abraham? I've used this example many times. When God called Abraham, he said, Abraham, sell your house, get out, go to a land that I will show thee. That's it. He did not say to Abraham, Abraham, sell your house. Uh, go to a land that I'll show you. The land is 450 miles that way, then 32 miles hanging left, and then uh, you know 120 miles to go south. And there's the land. When you get to this particular point, I want you to build an altar. 
And when you get there, he says, I want you to consecrate the land and I want you to move in the land. I want you to take a lamb and a, an oxen. I want you to divide it and I'm going to make a covenant with you right there. And then you're going to get, uh, you're going to have, have um, uh, with Sarah, uh, you're not going to be able to have a child, but you're going to have uh, uh, Hagar and you're going to have a son by him. It's called Isaac. And then you're going to have a child by Sarah because they're going to turn your bodies back again. And then you're going to go down to Gerir and uh, Sodom's going to burn and all. He didn't tell him all that. He didn't give him the whole, the whole book when he called Abraham. You know what he told him? He said, Abraham, I've called thee. Sell your house. Go where I'll show you. So Abraham goes out. He takes a for sale sign, puts it in the front of his house. Neighbors come over. Hey, you're selling. You're moving. Yeah. Where are you going? I don't know. Uh, what are you going to do when you get wherever you're going? I don't know that either. Um, how long is it going to take for you to get there? I don't know that either. Matter of fact, there's really nothing I know about what's next. I only know that God told me to get out. And so by faith, listen, by faith, he took that first step. And when he took that first step, God revealed more to him. And as he kept walking in faith in the light, God revealed more. And as he walked more, God showed him more. And as he walked more, God showed him more. Hey, when I came in the message, God never told me this. He never said, all right, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look, there's seven church ages, there's seven seals, there are trumpets, but they don't have anything to do really with the Gentiles directly, indirectly, but they're for the, for the uh, uh, Jewish people. And then there's vials and there's the book of Revelation. And there's, uh, he didn't tell me all of that. The only thing I knew when God first got a hold of my life, was come out of her, my people, and repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all I knew. But as you walk in that light, and you walk in simple faith in what God tells you, you know what? He's faithful to reveal more. If you want to get more from God, walk in what He's already showed you. Proving his word. We just, he, Brother Bam said, we're just afraid sometimes. We get to a place where uh, we're afraid and he won't keep that word. He will keep that word. He said he would. Now we find that's true. He proved it. God will keep his word. If God sends you to a place, God will provide for you in that place. I, I, I believe that. Believe in God. Brother Bam said in this world is, this morning is, is the spoken word of God. And he believed his own word. And if you're an offspring of him and God is in you, He'll believe his own word. If you're an offspring of God and God's in you, God will believe his own word. Though it cannot be seen and felt and tasted and so forth, he'll believe it. Just like Abraham when God told him he was going to have a son, right? Abraham believed it. He couldn't see Isaac. He couldn't hold Isaac or feel him. But he knew there was going to be a child come. For God in you will believe his own word. Somebody say amen. Amen. It's not you figuring it out. It's God in you believing his own word and God in you believing in the work of the Holy Spirit that intercedes for you and guides you according to the will of God. It's not you and it's not your mind having a, uh, you know, having a plan, detailed plan for the next 30 years of your life. It's rather God in you believing his own word and about the will of God. He said then you don't look at the things you see, you look at the things that God said. You don't look at things that you see, but rather you look at the things that God said. So it is not us figuring it out. It's God in you believing his own will for his own purpose. Number three, you got to be willing to hear and obey God's will. You got to be willing to hear it. If you go to God and say, Lord, how about this? You got to be willing to take the answer he gives. 
1965, Brother Bram's talking about Balaam. And he said he sought the will of God, and the will of God spoke back to him and said, don't curse the people, I've blessed them. He said there isn't a theologian anywhere can deny this message that we're preaching, but what it's exactly the, the word of God right in time. But he said, and he heard the plain, clean-cut decision of God, don't you go. Don't try to curse what I've blessed. They're my people. But you know what? Balaam didn't like those people anyway. So in other words, he kind of had his mind made up before he went to God, and he really wanted to have the reward that those messengers brought. The asking of God's will was really just the role of a person who knows about God. I prayed about it. Oh, yeah, I've asked God. But you know what? He really wanted to do this in the first place. And his excuse was, I don't like the people, I don't like them people anyway. So he really wasn't willing to hear and obey God's will. He really wanted to do what he wanted to do. So when we go to God, you've got to be willing to hear and obey God's will. Let me be brief here. You must be obedient, number four, to the already revealed word of God. Luke chapter 16. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Why should God give you more of anything if you don't handle properly what he's already given you? Isn't it true that sometimes when it comes to finances, say, isn't it true that sometimes more money is not the answer, but better stewardship over what we have is the better answer? Right? Come on. Had a fellow come to me one time and he said, Brother Barry, I need to go bankrupt. And I said, uh, really? He said, yes, sir. He said, I just, there's no, I don't have any money left. There's no way I can handle this. I get, can't pay the bills. I got to go bankrupt. This was years ago. And I said, well, how much do you owe? I don't really know. I just owe too much. How much do you make? I don't really know that either. I said, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't we just sit down together and why don't we just work through this? I said, you bring your shoebox. Everybody's got a shoebox. Bring your shoebox and let's write down all of the uh, check stubs and so forth that you've got. We'll see how much money you actually bring in. And on the other side, we'll just write down from the box all the bills you have, receipts and things that uh, you know you've paid for, and we'll, we're just going to do this on a monthly basis and look at it. It took us several hours to do that, and we worked it, worked it out, put all, down all the numbers there. And when I, when I got it down, we got it organized, and I drew a line on the bottom of it, added up the numbers, and he was actually making more than what he owed. And he stood back, and he said, this is pretty good. <laughs> I said, it doesn't look too bad to me. And he said, I can do this, Brother Barry. And I said, you're right, you can. The problem was stewardship, not more money. But there's a lot of times we have it in our mind. Well, it's too confusing, and I don't know what's there, and money's gone, and I got nothing left, and so on. But it, more money was not the answer here. Just a few adjustments and adding things up, keeping it organized, and that's what helped it for him. Why should God give you more revelation if you don't act on the revelation he's already given you? I mean, sometimes people will say they might refuse to pay their tithes. I, I had a person sat in my church for years, and I never knew it because I don't, I don't take the tithing checks or anything like that, but uh, have somebody else does that so I can say what I want about tithing. <laughs> That's just how I do it. Anyway, so anyway, I had the sister, you know, 
she was in the church for a number of years and, and never paid any tithing because she figured, well, Brother Barry doesn't need it anyway. And, uh, you know, it, it, I, don't need, I don't need to do that because, you know, Brother Barry's got all these other people here, so I, I really don't need to do that. Now, let me pause and just say this here because I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea. God will look after his God-called men. But what a person does when they refuse to pay tithes is cut off their channel of blessing from God. God's got a channel to bless you, and that's one of them. He said, you pay your tithes, bring your tithes to the storehouse and pay them. And he said, and you watch the blessing that I'll, I'll open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you won't even be able to contain. That's what he said, right? So that's for you. That's not for the pastor. That's for you. And people feel somehow they're getting at the pastor if they're, I'm not going to pay my tithes anymore. And they don't realize they're really robbing themselves of a blessing because that's a channel God uses. That's God's will, right? So sometimes, you know, people will, will do that. And this sister did that and she, uh, you know, she, uh, all of, after a while she became disgruntled and somebody had said something to her and so on and walked off. And, you know, that's always a sad thing to see. But I will tell you something. Why, is, why would God be obligated to show you more things when we fail to act on what God's already shown us? And sometimes people will walk away and they say, well, there's no, I don't get any revelation there. Well, maybe the, maybe the pipeline, maybe the valve has been shut off because there's something there that maybe you're not doing that God showed you. As if you're faithful in the least, you'll be faithful in much. That's how it works. So the way to get more from God is to do right with what God's already given you. All right, let, let's, go, let's go a little bit farther here. Now, we could say a lot about these, but I, I, I think that the fifth thing I wanted to say was that you, you need to utilize the counsel of other people. And the scripture verse that I often refer to is Proverbs 13, 20, which says, He that walketh with, the wise, men, with, the, with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Fools there in the Hebrew means a contemporary, somebody who's your own age. So if you want to move headlong to destruction, you hang around with people and take advice from people who are on the same level you are. But if you want to be wise, you hang around with wise people. All right, so where are the wise people? Uh, let me demonstrate it this way, all right? Everybody all right? God could have made the earth a little bit differently. God could have made the earth bigger and had everyone in creation born same day. Right? God could have done that. Instead of just making Adam and Eve, God could have made everybody same, same day. So we'd have one birthday to remember. <laughs> and we'd all be kids together. And then we'd all grow up and we'd be uh, eight, nine, ten-year-olds. Right? So the girls would be over here and the boys would be over here. And then we'd all be teenagers and destroy the world. No, I'm only kidding. And then we'd all be young married couples and then we'd all, uh, we wouldn't have any children because everybody would be born. But we'd all be in the middle years of marriage. We'd all have a, a midlife crisis together. And then we'd all grow old together. We'd all be senior citizens together. I mean, God could have done that, right? It could have been this way. It could have been a level. But God didn't do it that way. He did it this way. Meaning, he made Adam and Eve down here. Adam and Eve are first. And as we look at 
their life and how they had children and children's children, all these children came on the earth. No matter where you are on the road, there's somebody older and wiser been on this road longer than you. There's always, when you look at the path of life, there's always elders, somebody older ahead of you up the road. And you can go to them and ask them advice because they've been on this road longer than you have. And you can go ask them. And God's always put it so that there's somebody up there you can ask. Wise people. And he that walks with the wise shall be wise. But you know what? If that's true, then God has also people behind you who are looking to you, for example. Right? God has people who are back there and they're looking up at you and saying, well, Brother Barry, help me with this and I need an answer here and I'm going through this here. Oh, just hang on, Sonny. This will be all right. You've been through things. You, you, you experience things. And so you're able to pass on that wisdom. That's what parents do for children. That's what pastors do for congregations and so on. Hey, let me tell you something. God made it this way for a reason. And if you want to be wise, you walk with the wise, not the people who are on your level. Sorry, I just have my own ways. I told you it was Wednesday night, and I told you it was going to be really simple. All right, now here's where you need your Bible. I didn't want to put all these verses down, but take your Bible. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 42. I'm trying to hurry. Jeremiah chapter 42. And let's take a look at this example. Here it is. Number six, don't ever go to God with your mind made up already. Don't go to God with your mind made up. If you're going to go to God with a question, don't go with your mind already made up. All right, now here's the the best example in the Bible I could give you. Jeremiah chapter 42. This is when... Most of the children of Israel are taken off into captivity to Babylon. Jeremiah's left. They threw him in a hole in the ground, in a prison in the ground, and he was left there. And there was a remnant left there in Israel. Naturally, listen now, naturally, that remnant of people would be scared to death. That soldiers would come again and take us or kill us, or an invading army would come and kill us, because we're only a few. So they're naturally concerned about you know, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do now? So they pulled Jeremiah up out of the prison. And here's where it begins in 42. All the captains of the forces and Johanan, the son of Korea, Jezaniah, the son of Hoshaniah, and all the people from the least even to the greatest came there. So this great congregation came together to Jeremiah and they said unto him, the prophet, here's the question. Let we beseech thee, our supplication be accepted before thee, And pray for us unto the Lord thy God, even for all this remnant, for we are but a few of many, as thine eyes do behold us, that the Lord thy God may show us the way wherein we may walk and the thing that we may do. Tell us which way to walk now. How do we, what do we do? Do we stay or go? What, What are we supposed to do? And Jeremiah the prophet said unto them, I have heard you, and behold, I will pray unto the Lord your God according to your words, and it shall come to pass of whatever thing the Lord ans- will answer you, I will declare it unto you. I will keep nothing back from you. But that's a prophet, isn't it? I- I'll go, but when I go, I'll come back and tell you exactly what he said. Five. They said to Jeremiah, this is what they said now, the Lord be a true and faithful witness between us if we do not even according to all things for the which the Lord thy God shall send thee unto us. Whether it be good, whether it be evil, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we send thee, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. 
Liars. Bunch of liars. But that's the thing that a lot of times religious people say, whatever the Lord leads, whatever he says. Now they're talking to a prophet now. This is a full, full-on prophet here. And the prophet has a channel between himself and God. And so they're going to get an answer from God. And they said, whatever you tell us, we'll do it. All right, let's see what happens. Verse 7. And it came to pass after 10 days that the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah. Then he called Johanan the son of Korea and all the captains of the forces which were with him and all the people from the least even unto the greatest and said unto them, thus saith the Lord God of Israel unto whom you sent me to present your supplication before him. Here's the answer. If ye will still abide in this land, then will I build you and not pull you down. And I will plant you and not pluck you up. For I repent me of the evil that I've done unto you. Be not afraid of the king of Babylon, of whom ye are afraid. Be not afraid of him, saith the Lord. For I am with you to save you, to deliver you from his hand. Anybody unclear about what the answer is? Stay, stay here and I'll bless you. Let's read on. 12. And I will show mercies unto you, that, you may have mercy, that, uh, that he may have mercy upon you and cause you to return to your own land. But if you say, but if you say, we will not dwell in this land, neither obey the voice of the Lord our God, saying no, but we will go into the land of Egypt, where we shall see no war, nor hear the sound of the trumpet, nor have hunger bread, and there will we dwell. And now therefore hear the word of the Lord, ye remnant of Judah, thus saith the Lord of hosts, God of Israel, if ye wholly set your faces to enter into Egypt and go to sojourn there, then it shall come to pass that the sword which ye feared shall overtake you there in that land of Egypt, and the famine whereof ye were afraid shall follow close after you there in Egypt, and there ye shall die. Now, is, let me ask you, is anybody unclear about what the answer is? Stay, don't go to Egypt, right? Stay, don't go to Egypt. If you go to Egypt, all the trouble you think you're going to have here by staying is going to follow you there. So stay here, I'll bless you, I'll multiply you, as God wanted to have a remnant in the land because of the promises he made to David and Abraham and all the rest of them. So stay, 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 don't go, stay, stay here. 17. So shall it be with all the men that have set their faces to go into Egypt, to sojourn there. They shall die by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. And none of them shall remain or escape from the evil that I will bring upon them. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, As mine anger and my fury hath been poured forth upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so shall my fury be poured upon you when ye shall enter into Egypt, and ye shall be an execration an astonishment, a curse, a reproach, and ye shall see this place no more. The Lord hath said, 19, concerning you, O ye remnant of Judah, go ye not into Egypt. Let me ask again, is anybody unclear about God's answer here? No, certainly that I have admonished you this day. Don't go. But you know what? They had their minds made up. Because they had heard good things about Egypt. It was a good economy. And people down there had pools and they had jobs and they had, you know, those Walmarts everywhere and 
This is a land of plenty down there in Egypt. And so therefore, you know, they're looking at this and they're looking at, you know, the barren land here and nothing here because everybody's gone, barren farms. And then they're looking over here in Egypt and they're hearing the reports and, you know, they're getting the headlines on their whatever they had back then. And they're looking at this and they, they already got their mind made up. They didn't really like to go down to Egypt because they heard life's pretty good down in Egypt there. So we're going to go. But we'll ask the prophet first. The prophet says, don't go. Because God told him, tell the people, don't go. This is not unclear. This is very clear. Turn to the next chapter, if you will, verse 1. Let's see where this story goes. I'm almost done. And it came to pass that when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking unto all the people all the words of the Lord their God, for which the Lord their God had sent him to them, even all these words, when Jeremiah did what they asked him, then spoke Azariah, the son of Hoshiah, watch, and Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the proud men, saying unto Jeremiah, Thou speakest falsely. The Lord our God has not sent thee to say, Go not into Egypt to sojourn there. Woe. That's where you say, Woe. Can you imagine standing up in front of Brother Branham and saying, You know what? You're lying. Somebody put you up to this. Verse 3. But Baruch the son of Neriah setteth thee uh, thee on against us for to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans that they might put us to death and carry us away captives. So Johanan the son of Korea and all the captains of the forces and all the people obeyed not the voice of the Lord to dwell in the land of Judah. Can you imagine? I mean, this is not unclear. It's not unclear what the will of God is. God's told them. But you know what? They had their mind made up. And I got a piece of advice for you. If you want to go to God and ask Him what the will of God is, don't go with your mind made up. Whether it's about who you should marry, whether you should go to university or college or whatever else, you know, all the other important, this is an important decision for them. And they're influenced by things around them, like the conditions in Egypt and, you know, the history of their people and all this carrying off into Babylon and things happened they didn't understand. Life threw things at them that they didn't really anticipate. I mean, God had said to the prophets, you'll always dwell in the land, I'll bless you in the land. Now they're not in the land, they're gone. And so now this is a situation where they need guidance, they need God's help here. And they get God's help. They ask the right question to the right person, and they get the right answer. And in their hearts, their mind was already made up, and they said, we're going anyway. My goodness. I'll tell you what. Imagine how many times we've done that probably in our lives. It's just an amazing thing how patient God must be. But because of the promises that he made to the forefathers and so on, we we come down to the end because the people did go down to Egypt and many of them were destroyed. If you don't mind, just take your Bible. Let's look at one more final verse here. In chapter 46, you can read the 43, 44, 45, 46, all the way down to the end, verse 27 of chapter 46. And they're down in Egypt. Most of them have died. But fear not, God says to them, verse 27, but fear not, O my servant Jacob, and be not dismayed, O Israel. Here's God saying to Israel, be not afraid, don't be dismayed. I will save thee from afar and thy seed from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return and be in rest and at ease, and none shall make him afraid. Fear thou not, O Jacob, my servant, saith the Lord, for I am with thee, and I will make... I will make a full end of all the nations whereof I have driven thee. But I will not make a full end of thee, but correct thee in measure, yet will I not leave thee wholly unpunished. My goodness, that's amazing how God would say to them, 
I, I'm not going to destroy you. I'm not going to wipe you off the face of the earth. I'm not going to uh, completely wipe you out. And God would have every right to do that because they blatantly disobeyed God in the face of a prophet and said, it doesn't matter what God says. I'm going to do what I want anyway. And God could have easily done this and wiped the whole group of them off the face of the earth and seen them all destroyed. And God in his mercy says, no, but I'll leave you a remnant and I'll bring you back here. Do not be dismayed, Israel. Let me tell you, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I'm glad for that because there are times when we have our mind made up and we're bent on doing a certain thing, but God in his mercy brings us right back around to the place we're supposed to be. I'll tell you what, that's the God that we serve. When you go to God, go with an open mind. When you go to God, go with an attitude of, Lord, whatever you say, make it clear to me so I won't misunderstand, but make it clear, Lord. And when I know what your will is, Lord, give me the courage and the faith and the strength to do that. The will of God is not always easy. Brother Bram said, you know, the easy road is not always the best road. The best road is not, the best road is to find the will of God, then travel it. Find the will of God no matter how hard it is. Just raise up your hand and say, I'll take the way of the Lord to despise few. I've had people before tell me, I believe it's the will of God for me to switch this job and go to that one. You know, everything's looking really good. And then all of a sudden when everything doesn't look real good, you're saying, well, uh, you know what? I, I believe God's leading me to go over here now. And I always like to ask the question, is there any place in the Bible you've ever read that the will of God is always easy? That the path of God that he sends us on is, is, a, is a path with no problems and no no bad things that ever happened. Let me tell you something. Sometimes the will of God is a difficult thing. When you have to make your stand and when you have to work through things. Maybe your relationships at home, your relationship with your wife or your husband's not so great. You know that's the will of God for you to be married and stay married. But you've got to work through this. You've got to work through this. Is that easy? It's not always very easy. When you have wayward children, it's not always easy to work through things with them. But God gave them to you. We've got to work through this. Now let me just jump for a moment here. I just want to come to one last final thing to say. You can look at this. He said there is a, there is a peace that comes with the right choice. When we make right choices with God, there is a peace. A peace that rules in our hearts to which you are called in the one body. The will of God may not be easy, but somehow or another, when you make the right choices and right decisions, there's a peace that accompanies that. And God vindicates right choices. God stands behind right choices. And God will never leave you or forsake you when you're making choices. The last word I'll say is this. God will in me to do thy will. Why don't we stand to our feet? Let's have your musicians slip up here. Read this prayer with me. This is Brother Bram's prayer. Hear ye him, 1960. God, will in me to do thy will, thy will to do. Create in me, Lord, a greater hunger. Create in me in this church, in your body. Create in us the spirit of your sons and daughters. And make us real. Make us real. We love you, Father. Give us of your spirit. God, will in me thy will to do. God does not promise you that you will know everything that's going to happen to you up the road. 
God does not promise to show you every step right out to the end of your life. But Lord, just give me the will to take a step in faith and to do thy will. And Lord, give me the will to examine myself according to the word because his will is his word. And give me the courage and the openness and the honesty to be able to look at the word of God and compare my life to it and then make adjustments to my life so that it matches up with God's word. Maybe you ought to pray this way when you come to church and say, Lord, have that minister say something that will help me see my life in a different way so I can make the right adjustments. Brother Bram said, you operate the gift, you're half of the gift, and he said, you, have a, you, have an, you can have an effect there, and you can pull that, pull that answer right out of the heart of God. You know, because God wants to tell you, God wants to share things with you, but God wants to see in your heart a will to do his will. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we close this service, Lord, we realize that many of these things, Lord, are very simple, very straightforward things, Lord, perhaps we've heard before. But sometimes, oh God, it's good to be reminded of things that we, we face, Lord, even in the elder years, the senior years of our life. Because, Lord, there are decisions and there are choices that we have to make. And Father, we, we want to always be in your will. We want to do things pleasing in your sight. And Lord, in order to do that, we have to pray in this way that, Lord, you would create in me a will to do your will and not my will. Let me lay down those ambitions that I have, Lord. And, and Father, may I just submit myself to you. And I pray that you would minister to these people in the same way, that, God, you would deal with their hearts and lead them and guide them along the path you have chosen. Because we know you care for us. We know you love us. And Lord, even when the children of Israel in the days of Jeremiah, they rebelled against the direct word and will of God, yet you found them down in Egypt and brought them back out of your mercy, Lord. But Father God, I, just, I would just have a desire, Lord, to be led by you and be sensitive to the moving of the Holy Spirit. Just guide us and nudge us, Lord, in the right ways, I pray. We trust you, Lord. You said, I know the plans I have concerning you plans that are good. Father God, I, I just ask that you would fulfill your will in all of our lives. Maybe there's some here, Lord, that have never really submitted themselves to you. And Father, I just pray that they would do that and just open their hearts. Lord. Thank you for your love and your mercy to us. Grant to us, I pray, the things, Lord, which which move us farther up that road. Grant to us, Lord, the eyes to see and the ears to hear your, your leading. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Lord. I want to give until